Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. Steven Pesavento here, the host of the show, and I'm excited. I have Brian Burke in the studio. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing great, Steven. Thanks for having me on today. Well, I'm excited to have you on because, uh, as you guys know, Brian is the president and CEO of Praxis Capital, a vertically integrated real estate private equity firm. He also happened to write the book on passive investing called The Hands-Off Investor uh, an insider's guide to investing in passive real estate syndications for bigger pockets. So, you know, it's a big deal and is a frequent public speaker at real estate events and conferences around the country. He's acquired over a half a billion dollars worth of real estate over the last 30 year career, over 3000 multifamily units, over 700 single family units. He's subdivided land. He's built homes. He's constructed self storage and everything in between. But his main focus is repositioning existing multifamily property. So today we're going to dive in to how do you become an effective hands-off investor? How do you really set yourself up for success and make sure that you're avoiding some of the trials and tribulations that you can run into as a passive investor and make sure that you're investing alongside great partners and setting yourself up for uh, that financial independence that we all dream of. So are you ready to dive into things, Brian? Let's do it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Steven Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investors, have you grabbed your copy of the Passive Investor Playbook yet? If you haven't, I recommend you go pick up the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. You can grab that in the show notes right down below as we've interviewed tons of the top experts and brought together all of the knowledge that we have on passive investing so that you can lay a foundation for yourself to make sure you're making the right decisions in your investing career. You can grab that guide at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Let's get back to it. Why don't we start out by taking a look back at earlier in your life? What events or influences from your childhood specifically shaped who you are today? Geez, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, the, the biggest thing for me was, you know, when I was a kid, I was kind of thrust into a position where I had to grow up really fast. And uh, that caused me, it's funny, I was always hanging out with people about 10 or 15 years older than I was. Uh, and then I ended up when I started investing in real estate, I was 20 years old. And, you know, there were no other 20 year olds doing that. <laughs> Yeah, that's huge. I mean, being surrounded uh, by all these successful investors that are a lot older, they're all probably looking at you thinking, man, I wish I got started when I was that young. I know. Right. And the thing was, is that, you know, at that time I didn't know anybody that was successful. So they were probably looking at me like thinking like, you know, who is this kid trying to get into this business? Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, what did you end up learning from that? I mean, well, why did you feel comfortable going into real estate at such a young age when there wasn't a lot of peers in it, you know, rather than just going the traditional route? 
You know, I, I read a book that said that uh, you could become wealthy in real estate and you could buy uh, real estate with no money down. Just simply ask the seller if they'll carry the down payment. And I thought, well, that's easy enough. I was too dumb to know that that actually is really hard to do and that not everybody says yes. But, you know, I found this house and I asked the seller and they said yes. And I was like, okay, that is how this is done. I guess the book was right. So, uh, you know, I kind of got into it. I guess you could say it was intentional, but uh, it was kind of by accident too, because in the real world or as the real world, as we know it, nobody says yes to that. Yeah, but that's what's so interesting is that it was a bunch of BS before is like just this idea out in the world. Somebody wrote this book. But once it actually happened for you, you were able to prove that belief in your mind that it was possible. And obviously you were able to kind of build a phenomenal career uh, after that. What at what point did you start focusing on commercial real estate? That was about uh, about. 12 years after I first got into real estate. So I, I had been flipping houses and uh, I'd even built a few homes and, uh, but house flipping was really my, my main business. You know, I didn't have the money to be a big time investor. So I'm like, you know, I could get scraped together just enough cash to buy one property and then fix it up and resell it and then do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And uh, after about a decade of that, and uh, the, you know, the business just started to grow and then, you know, I was building homes and then, after a couple of years of that, I, I had a couple of rental houses and I thought, you know what, if I could sell these two rental houses into a 1031 exchange and buy an apartment building, that would be like the most incredible thing ever. I mean, who would ever have imagined that this poor kid could come in and buy an apartment building? And I actually managed to pull it off. And again, taking another page out of the old playbook, I told the seller, I said, you know, I've got enough money in this 1031 for half the down payment. Would you carry the other half? And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. It's the power of the question. If you just ask, who knows? People might say yes. You never know. The answer is no if you don't ask. So that was how I got into multifamily. And that was 20 years ago and I've been doing it ever since. That's amazing. And so now it sounds like you focus majority of your time on the syndication front. Tell us a little bit more. Give us a little bit of color about what your focus is today. Yeah, you know, when I first was uh, in this business, I didn't have money of my own. The only way that I could do anything in real estate is if I had other investors, uh, you know, helping me along the way to put the money in that we needed. So a uh, long, long, long time ago, about 20 years ago, I raised my first fund. It was a little small $500,000 fund. It was funded by coworkers that I used to flip houses. And then as I grew and grew and then got into multifamily, I'm like, hey, I need to do the same thing with multifamily as I did with single family. If I want to grow this, I need to get investors. And so I went out and found a few people to invest with me and, uh, and kind of the rest is history. Now I've got over a thousand investors, over a hundred million dollars that we've raised from high net worth individuals and family offices that have grown this to a half a billion dollar business. So you've been able to effectively help folks really become hands-off investors, just like you talk about in the book. So, you know, let's dive deep into the tactic here, right? So, you know, on the investor mindset, we always are thinking about like, how do the most successful people, how do their thoughts and beliefs end up impacting the actions they take? But from a tactical perspective, you know, how can somebody start to set themselves up for success to become a hands-off investor? Well, the first thing you should do is read the book, The Hands-Off Investor, because, it, you know, it may seem simple. You know, there's out there in the world, there's this uh, this concept of OPM. Every real estate 
seminar that you go to preaches OPM, which means other people's money. It means you, you have a real estate idea that you want to do. Go get other people's money and you can buy all the real estate you want. And the, the problem was is that there was no resource for the quote unquote other people. You know, so what if you're one of those people that is bringing the money to the deal? How do you know if the investment that you're contemplating is not only uh, uh, suitable for you, but, uh, but is likely to succeed and that the person that's bringing you the opportunity is going to be the one most likely to succeed in carrying it out. So there was really no resource for people to turn to to learn that. So that's one of the reasons why I wrote The Hands-Off Investor. So the first thing you have to do if you're thinking about being one of the other people uh, and bringing money to someone else's real estate deal, first step is get educated and make sure you know what you're doing. And so obviously go check out bigger pockets the hands-off investor you can find it on amazon you can find it on bp biggerpockets.com once someone's dove into that book obviously they're going to learn a lot here um, from it but talk to me about what are some of the pieces of the puzzle that people are going to need to learn in order to you know be effective yeah there there's a there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle and the first the first piece most importantly is to learn about how to analyze uh, real estate sponsors so when you're when you're the uh, person bringing the money there's also somebody that's bringing the deal and doing all the work right and there's a there's a new element of risk that's added to the equation when you invest passively and that's the person that you're investing with. If you're buying the real estate yourself, you know that there's risk in the real estate, you know there's risk in the economy, but if you're investing with someone else, you've added a new failure point into the equation. And so one of the first steps is to learn how do you, uh, how do you look at a real estate sponsor and figure out if, uh, if they're uh, most likely to be successful in carrying out this business plan. It's a very, very important component. Making the wrong decision could, could cost you ev- everything that you've invested. Okay, so we wanna dive in, we wanna do our due diligence on who is actually operating that, what the team looks like. Uh, what else goes into that due diligence process? A lot is we, first you want to see, uh, you know, what kind of a track record do they have? Yeah. How many, how many times have they done this before? What kind of a, what does their team look like? Do they have experience and you know, they have, do they have experience not only in the, uh, in the market that you're looking to invest in, do they have experience in the product type? So if all they've done is apartments and this deal is a hotel, uh, that could be an additional point of risk. If all they've done is uh, value add, and this is a development project that adds another additional uh, layer of risk. So knowing a little bit about their experience is helpful. Uh, their their track record, their full cycle experience. In other words, have they actually gone all the way through an acquisition, operation, and disposition of a property, or have they only bought stuff and never sold anything? Uh, have they survived through a market cycle and seen an adverse market cycle and did they survive and how did they, uh, how did they get from one side to the other? Uh, all those things are critically important, uh, but also their, their experience and the, uh, the team and the, uh, uh, the track record. Those are, those are the, the main things that you really got to focus on. Okay. So we dive in, we do our due diligence. We're starting to understand, you know, what their track record looks like, what market, they're investing in the asset type, all of these things are starting to feel comfortable in that sponsor. We feel like as a team, they're the right folks to manage this business plan. What next? 
Yeah, the next is to uh, look at the offering that they're presenting to you. And, and so, uh, you know, there's a number of different fronts you're looking at here. The first is, is the investment suitable for you? If you're a retiree and you're living off the cash flow of your investments and they're presenting to you a development deal, it's probably not suitable because a development deal isn't going to throw off any cash flow. Uh, if, uh, if you're a young uh, tech uh, entrepreneur who's got a lot of extra disposable income but no time to invest in real estate and a high tolerance for risk and all you're looking for is capital growth and the investment being presented to you as a uh, stable class A multifamily asset with no upside potential, that investment might not be suitable for you. If you know that you're going to need this money in two years to go you know, buy a home uh, and you're looking at a 10-year investment play, that's probably not suitable for you. So the first thing you got to look at is does the investment meet your objectives and your needs as to uh, when you're going to need to get your capital back, but also what kind of distributions are you going to need in the interim? So that's the first step is to, is to really understand whether it's suitable. The second is to understand whether you think that the sponsor's uh, business plan makes sense. Uh, and, you know, if you're uh, looking like right now we're in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic and if you have somebody that's proposing to build uh, a 400 room hotel in a small city, you might be thinking, well, no one's traveling right now. You know, is that really a good idea to be doing that? So you want to you want to have a sense of whether or not you think that the business plan makes sense for the time we're in. Absolutely. So. We're, we're going to make sure that things align with our goals and then we're going to make sure that 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 if they do align, that the business plan is reasonable. And how would somebody go about understanding and and deciding if the business plan is reasonable? It's all about assumptions. You know, you, they say in, in computers, they used to say garbage in, garbage out. Right. And this is the same kind of thing here is that when when somebody projects uh, some investment performance from any passive investment. They're going to say, we expect it's going to earn this uh, internal rate of return or that cash on cash return or this equity multiple. Whatever it is, they're, they're, they're basically telling you the performance that they expect you to, that they want you to expect to see from the investment. The difficulty of all this is though, is that any uh, performance uh, projection is simply an exercise of financial engineering. And behind the scenes, there's a, a real estate sponsor that wants to get a deal done, who's pulling on a variety of different levers until they figure out how do we get to the return I'm going to need to promise. In other words, if I dial up the rent growth a little bit or dial down the exit cap rate or dial up the occupancy uh, rate or uh, dial down the loan interest rate a little bit, then I can get where I need to get. So there's all kinds of manipulation that can take place behind the scenes. So what's really important is that you look at all the assumptions that are being made in the underwriting. What vacancy rate are they assuming? What rent growth are they assuming? What interest rate on the debt are they assuming? Uh, all these different things come into play because they're all going to tell you whether or not the projected return is promising. The mistake that people too often make is they say, oh, I've got five different investment alternatives here in front of me. Uh, I'm going to pick this one because it has the highest projected IRR. And what they might fail to realize is that that one has the highest projected IRR because that sponsor is being overly aggressive on a number of assumptions that, that arrived at a higher promised return than what some of the other guys were using. So it's really important to know, you know, that garbage in, garbage out philosophy and make sure that the underwriting uh, projections are reasonable.
No, that makes so much sense. So you actually have to know how to do a little bit of deal analysis going into it to be able to ask some of these really important questions. And where do you recommend people turn to to start learning some of those basics to make sure that they are going to be well positioned to make some of those decisions? Yeah, there's a lot of books on there about real estate investing and general real estate investing and commercial real estate investing, specifically multifamily investing. There's a ton of books out there. You certainly got to get yourself educated. What I tried to do in the hands-off investor was to condense basically all of the knowledge that you would need to be able to uh, analyze those assumptions in one spot. So we've actually got a couple chapters of the book that are dedicated solely to real estate investment analysis. And these are so hyper-focused that a lot of real estate sponsors would probably learn something by, uh, by reading those chapters. You know, and the goal here wasn't to teach you how to be a real estate investor. It's more about teaching you, kind of like if you think of it this way, you don't teach the building the building inspector doesn't have to be a contractor but the building inspector has to know enough about construction techniques to know if the contractor did their job and this is the same kind of thing where i'm trying to teach you how to be the building inspector and you don't have to know how to go invest in real estate but you have to know all these different you know real estate underwriting metrics and uh, key performance indicators and all kinds of different things and i put that all in one spot in the book No, that makes so much sense. Well, you know, so we've begun to do the analysis specifically on the sponsor. We feel comfortable with them. Now we've done our analysis on the deal. We've got ourselves educated. We feel confident and comfortable in it. What comes next? What comes next is an investment commitment. And this is where the rubber really meets the road. You know, it's funny how it's all a theory and concepts until it's time to start uh, to sign a check. You know, once, uh, once you go to sign a check, uh, it, it's like, uh, this just got real, <laughs> right? <laughs> so now it's time to, uh, to sign the subscription agreement, which means, you know, first you want to review all the offering documents, the uh, private placement memorandums, operating agreements, subscription agreements, make sure that the language in there, um, that there's no, you know, hidden gotchas, so to speak. Uh, you know, there can be onerous terms contained in those, uh, in those documents, like uh, overly high fees, Uh, unfair profit splits, uh, onerous capital call requirements where you could be required to put more money in after you've made your investment, uh, transfer restrictions and all those different things where uh, you can get tripped up by by, uh, the language in the operating agreement. And so I try to go through, you know, what to look for and what to avoid. And, and, you know, one of the big things I think that that trips up a lot of people is, is the capital call provisions and getting stuck. I've, I've actually heard of investors being required to put up money uh, after they got into a deal. And, and sometimes that can be a real problem for some people. And what are some of those other things people want to keep an eye out for when they're at this stage of uh, investing? One of them is, uh, is the fee structure that the sponsors are charging. And, you know, there's, you know, there's fees that are market and there's fees that are out of market and you see both. And, you know, one of them that's kind of an an interesting one, I always get a good laugh out of is the asset management fee. And the asset management fee is always 1%. And I don't care who you talk to, every sponsor, their asset management fee is 1%. But nobody ever says 1% of what? And it really makes a big difference. And so this is where the, the language, the technical language can be a real gotcha. So, you know, while one sponsor might be doing 1% of collected income, 
Another might be doing 1% of the total purchase price of the property or 1% of the amount of equity that was raised. And th that 1% is a wildly different number. One could be about 10 times higher than the other. So you have to be careful and make sure that you understand exactly how the fees are based and, and what they, the calculations come out to be. And then also to see if those fees are actually included in the financial projections to know if they were an afterthought or if it was already built into the financial modeling so that you know whether or not they'll affect the promised return. Okay. Well, that makes so much sense. So, you know, we've come full cycle. We, we've gotten our sponsor, we've gotten the deal, we've invested our money. And at this point, we have written that check and we're investing this deal. Now we're truly a hands-off investor. Well, what, what else would you want to share with folks that they need to know after the point of making that investment and what they can do to make sure that things go well? Yeah, that's the that's the real um, that's the real point where you've actually become more passive is once you've made the investment. You know, it, it, we call this the hands-off investor. It's called passive investing, but until you've made your investment, it's anything but passive because you're very active when you're anal you're, you're looking for sponsors to invest with. You're analyzing sponsors and trying to determine who's worthy, uh, you know, of your investment. Uh, that part of it is very active, and if you take a passive approach to it, that's where you can make a lot of mistakes. Once you've gotten past that point and you've made your investment, now you do get to shift to passive mode. Let the sponsor do all the work while you basically just, you know, the, the old adage is you collect the checks, or at least you hope you're collecting checks. So, but in the meantime, you still have to keep an eye open to what's going on. So you should be receiving reports on a routine basis from the sponsor. You want to make sure you're reviewing those reports and making sure that they're um, that they're telling you what's going on, that they're keeping the lines of communication open. Are they delivering, uh, you know, not just the good news, but the bad news? Are they being realistic in their assessment of where we are today? Uh, you know, if there's challenges that lie ahead, are they telling you about that? Uh, you want to be looking at the um, income statements and balance sheets to see if the distributions that you're getting are connected to the actual property's income. Uh, and there's a few tricks I go over in the book on how to do that and some things to look for. There's ways that sponsors can um, hide the the true performance of the asset uh, and, and catch you off guard. So you got to keep your eyes open, but from this point, you should just be in, in pretty much passive mode, just paying attention every quarter to your reports. That makes sense. And what's one of those little nuggets that people should be looking for within those reports? The big one that I think is probably the, the most common is to look to see if the sponsor is hiding bad debt on the balance sheet. And so what happens is, you know, these, uh, these investments use a method of accounting called accrual accounting, which means that uh, when rent is due, it's booked as income. And when it's collected, it's booked against accounts receivable. But what can happen is, is they'll, they can bill the income every month, but if no one pays it, you still have the income, but you never got the cash. It's sitting in accounts receivable. And there's a, the, the easiest trick is you look at the balance sheet and you look at the accounts receivable. And what you're looking at is to see if it consistently grows and grows and grows quarter after quarter after quarter. And if it is, there's a good chance that the sponsor might be burying bad debt on the balance sheet and not writing any of it off as a bad debt loss. So if all you're doing is looking at the amount of income, uh, you would think the property's performing great, but really uh, it might not be. 
That's a huge tip, you guys. I hope that uh, you take note of that. I definitely recommend you go out and grab the book. It's it's phenomenal. It's full of a lot of great information. So thanks for sharing that. Um, before we jump into the next section, is there anything else that you want to let people know if they're thinking about going down this path towards investing passively that they need to know so that they aren't just sitting on the fence, afraid of getting started, and they don't end up going down the path of making the wrong call. Yeah, it's really important. One of the big driving motivators for me to write this book was a friend of mine who lost her entire life savings by making the wrong decision investing with the wrong syndication sponsor. Turned out he was a crook and now he's in prison and, you know, she lost her whole, um, her whole, uh, life savings. So you don't want to make a mistake. And the biggest mistake that I think people make is having a single point of failure. And so, you know, there's always this question of what's more important, the sponsor or the deal. And I strongly believe the sponsor is more important than the deal. And if you're investing with the right people, they should be bringing you the right deals. At the same time, you also want to make sure that you have diversification. In other words, you've invested in a number of different assets, uh, you've invested in a number of different sponsors and you've invested in different asset classes. So, you know, the perfect portfolio is kind of like with stocks. You don't want to just invest everything in Amazon. You know, you might want to have some tech and some energy and some, you know, like uh, con consumer goods, you know, same kind of thing here where you might want to have some multifamily, you might want to have some self-storage, maybe some mobile home parks, maybe office, maybe hotel, you know, depending on the timing of all those different things. Uh, and have those with different sponsors in different locations where some of them might be in Arizona and some of them might be in Florida. The idea is to eliminate any single point of failure. And that was the mistake that my friend made. She invested her entire life savings with one sponsor in one deal. And when that went south, it was all gone. So don't let that happen to you. No. Yeah. Diversification, such an important thing, you know, and it's such a good reminder that even if you've got somebody that you really, really trust and that is doing phenomenal work for you, sometimes it makes sense to spread that, that portfolio money across multiple different sponsors or different properties so that you can uh, be put in the best position for the long term. That's right. Protect your downside, because if you don't protect your downside, the upside is meaningless. You can't, uh, you can't get rich losing money. That's absolutely true. And I just want to remind everyone, thank you guys for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. We've been growing like crazy. And I can tell from the stats that we are seeing a lot of new folks joining us on the show every single week. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you've listened to more than three shows, it's time to pay the piper. This is a free show. And one of the best ways for us to reach more people is actually for you to just go drop a review on your favorite podcasting app. So please do that for us. Leave us an honest written review, however you feel. And uh, we are greatly, we greatly appreciate you uh, being here with us. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. Tell me, Brian, how would you define success and what is success to you? Wow. Interesting question. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I define success as having kind of a well-rounded uh, approach to life and a good work-life balance. Uh, and that, that I think is, has probably made me feel more successful than any amount of numbers that you can put on a spreadsheet. That's huge. That's, that's absolutely huge. And how have you gone about doing that? Yeah, that's the hard part to implement, right? Is trying to balance that work and life. You know, for, for me, we, uh, uh, recently got a vacation home in, uh, in Hawaii so we can spend a lot of time there. 
and I can run my business from the beach and just, you know, watch the waves and the whales and, and still keep the business running, but also be able to spend, you know, quality time with, uh, with my wife and, and, and get away from the hustle and bustle of the day to day. Man, that's so great. That's inspiring. And I think that's the way you got to do it. You got to set yourself up to actually have some, some time to get away so that when you get back to work, you're, you're working even harder on the things that matter and uh, you're doing it for the right reason. So what are some of the keystone habits or the things you do on a daily or weekly basis that have led to some of that success? Well, you know, some of it's lifestyle by design. I don't like to waste a lot of time. So, you know, I, I made sure that my office and my house are like within just a few minutes drive of one another. So I don't spend a lot of time commuting on the road. And, you know, it's just about be as efficient as I can with the time that I have so that I can spend more time uh, on the things I like to do. And and so it's, it's really a conscious decision uh, that you have to make every single day. It doesn't just happen on its own. Beautiful. And what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? Jeez. Uh, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a big one for me. I read that when it first came out. When was that? 20, 25 years ago. I don't even know how long it's been now, but that was a big thing to teach me about the why. More currently, I would say a real impactful book that I got a lot out of was called TED Talks. And it was written by the, um, by the CEO of the TED Talk organization, uh, one of the things that uh, is really important in uh, being a investment syndication sponsor is getting awareness of what you do. And getting awareness means public speaking. And public speaking can be really challenging for people. And while I, I've always felt that um, it wasn't as scary for me, you always know that there's ways that you can improve. And this book really helped me find ways to improve public speaking, which in turn results in additional exposure for my business and, you know, additional opportunities for everyone. So great book. That's huge. I'll definitely have to check that out and add that to the list. So inspiration, what impacts have mentors made on your life and how do you recommend others go out and find great mentors? Man, I'm the absolute worst person to ask that question to because I never had a mentor. I, I never went through a coaching program. You know, in retrospect, I probably would have done much better if I had. You know, I was one of those guys that I had to figure it all out on my own and spent years and years and years practicing and, you know, and years losing my own money on deals and, you know, kind of trial by fire. I always like to say I got a PhD from the school of hard knocks and I have the tuition payments to prove it uh, from, you know, places where they, the deals I did didn't go well. So, man, I would think that if you had a mentor and a coach, it would really help you to avoid some of the mistakes I made. Because I used to think that you could just read it in a book and go, okay, I read the mistakes. Now I won't repeat them. But humans are just don't work that way. You just, you have to screw up yourself before the lesson becomes meaningful. Yeah. Sometimes that that's the way it's got to go. So finishing on this purpose, what drives you to live your best life every day? I love what I do. <clears throat> that's really what it comes down to. I, I, I like, I like real estate. I like working for investors. I like making people uh, money. I like helping people uh, uh, accomplish their objective, their goals and objectives, their investment goals. Uh, and, uh, you know, more recently with this book, I've enjoyed, you know, using my knowledge and experience of 30 years in this industry to help people uh, understand what to look out for when they make passive investments so that, you know, maybe they won't have the same 
outcome is my friend who lost her whole life savings. Well, I think that is so great. And, you know, I just greatly, greatly appreciate you being here. Where can people find out more about you and obviously get a copy of the book? Yeah, they can, you know, can find out more about, about me and Praxis Capital on our company website. It's praxcap.com. It's P-R-A-X-C-A-P.com. Uh, of course, there we have our Instagram channel. It's uh, Our handle is Praxcap or my own, which is Investor Brian Burke. Uh, the book is uh, biggerpockets.com forward slash syndication book, uh, or it's also available on Amazon and I think uh, even some local bookstores if they ever get back opened up again. Awesome. I highly recommend you guys go out and grab a copy of it, get it shipped to your house and dive into it as soon as you can. And I will leave you guys as I always leave you. And that's with a reminder to live a life worth inspiring others. And you can do so today by actually applying what Brian taught us in your life by going out and applying some of these strategies so that you can inspire others to inspire others to go out and live a life, you know, that is much, much greater and bigger than you ever thought you could. So thank you so much much, Brian. Really appreciate you spending some time with us today. And I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.